Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Leary and this is XJob Downloaded. And today I'm going to interview Steve Davis. Now, Steve Davis is a former member of the military and he now renovates or restores graves of military personnel. Have I got that right, Steve? Uh, yeah, uh, mostly pre-1914 military graves and also where where possible community graves, you know, where people have died in in like bombs or accidentally in certain, certain sorts of scenarios. Wow. And also I did clean some subsidiary grades. They generally give me a donation for it. Where did it all begin for you? I know you've done two tours of Northern Ireland and you yeah. served with the Royal Green Jackets, but how did you get involved in the military? What was the motivation to join the military? Uh, it was the 3rd Battalion, the Royal Green Jackets, which is important because we don't like the other two. <laughs> uh, we were known as the – our nickname was the Cowboys – and the first nickname was the Fathers, and the second the Handbags. So um, Kunsi, who you know, who you yes. know was a, was a, call him a handbag next time. You say a that. handbag, I will do. Yeah, <laughs> he'll like and not like that. And collectively, the, the regiment was known as the Black Mafia because we um, we supplied a lot of the top generals in general staff for years and years and years. Oh, really? And the past CG, CDG was um, was um, uh, Sir Nick Carter. Yes. It was my platoon commander when I was in. Wow. Um, but basically, I started out, well, I was cub, cub scout, a scout. I then joined the Army Cadet Force, and I wanted to become a soldier in my life. And I, I joined at the age of 16 and four months old, the Infantry Junior Leaders Battalion in Shawcliffe in Folkestone in Kent, which is you basically joined as a junior soldier, and they train you to be the future NCOs of the army, non-commissioned officers. Yep. So about eighty percent of it is military training for a year, and twenty percent education. So you, you get you get better grades on your uh, stuff you did when you left school, and also the army uh, education side. I then left, uh, passed out there, and I joined a training platoon at Winchester in its last six weeks, which is typical for junior soldiers to do. Um, much to the annoyance of the existing training platoon that had been going through for 30 weeks. And uh, me and Gaz were won a prize as best battle partner, wow. uh, uh, which really upset the existing guy that was, was in the way to, to win it. And he's, he still talks about it now. Well, he talks he about a lot of things now, doesn't he? <laughs> still, upset me, still upset with me, 40... 47 years later. 47 years. <laughs> it's a long time to hold a grudge. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Fantastic. So so you've you've been at you're at Winchester and you part yeah. Oh you, yeah, sorry. Um I then joined my battalion in Berlin. Yep. In 75, and we had 18 months left of a tour there. Um, uh, which was in the days of the wall. Um, we used to guard Rudolf Hess. We used to do various stuff going across the border, guarding the border. Really weird time in my life because I was only 17 and a half. But basically, I became a pretty good alcoholic because it was so um, – booze was so cheap and so subsidised. You could buy 20 cigarettes and get drunk for a pound. Wow. That's how mad the place was. Yeah, I mean, it was a different era. Did you get to see Rudolf Hess? Oh, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you weren't allowed to talk to him. If you talked to him, he would um, he'd stitch you up to the – Civvy guards, and you get into trouble. So they used to, they used to, he used to have every, every, it's every, I can't remember the time scale, but we used to do a 48 hour guard at the prison. And we were put in the, the watchtowers, of which there were five, and he would guard him most days. And you marched out past him, and he would look at you and sort of try and elicit a comment. But you knew if you said anything, he'd stitch you up because that's all he had in his life. And the French would then take over, then the Americans would take over, then the, 
and his worst nightmare, the Russians would take over. Yeah. It's the only reasons the Russians, apart from diplomatic, get into West Berlin. And right. of course, they were quite, um, quite nasty to him. It's interesting because as a 17 year old, did you realise the significance of Rudolf Hess? Absolutely, yeah. We knew exactly what we were doing and who we were looking after and his story and how he uh, parachuted over Scotland and tried to negotiate some sort of surrender, which was not, you know, which was not ratified by the high command or the chap with the dodgy moustache. Mm. And uh, yeah, he was the uh, he was the only man in that prison, um, the whole, whole prison that we guarded, and it was basically for. I think he outlived all his inmates by. Probably ten or twelve years. I can't tell you exactly how long, but um, yeah, I did understand the significance. Yes. And because when it's, it's a car park and a set of flats now. I was going to say because as soon as he died, they demolished it, didn't they? They did, yes, yeah. Which is which is fascinating in itself, because he his own right, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he he was a occupant of the Tower of London for a few days as well, and in the bar he there, they've got a signature on the wall. Um, one of the beef eaters thought it'd be a good idea to get him to sign. A piece yeah, of paper, and they've they, they've got that on the wall in the bar there. The keys, <laughs> fantastic. So you've mm. do, you've done your time in Berlin, and you've burnt your liver out. Yeah, burnt my liver out, and we got in trouble with the high command. They, did, they, they thought we'd be naughty boys, and we were. We just we just were because we were able to. You, we were enabled. You know, then to, to think that the cost of a large spirit was the equivalent in today's time. Why not? Monetary terms, it's about four or five p. Wow. Yeah. So large Bacardi and Coke was like 8p. Sometimes the, the actual mixer was more expensive because it was so subsidised. So what do you expect? Well, yeah. Uh, the, the army marches so on we, its we, stomach. We were given a punishment, what we term as a punishment posting to a place called Caterham in Surrey. Yep. Which used to be the guards depot years and years ago. Yeah. Before Purbright. And we were put on public duties, which is basically looking after St. James's Palace, the Tower of London, and Buckingham Palace, and I did Buckhouse twice, and I did uh, Tower of London once. And if anyone knows, listening to this about the military, we are probably the scruffiest bunch of soldiers <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. I, I have pictures of groups of us, and not one person is wearing the same thing. That's how, you know, because basically we were scruffy fighting soldiers that would scrape a hole, take a shot, and go backwards, you know. How funny. Sharp, yeah. We were. Sharp. I mean, my regiment, my third battalion, was basically the ninety fifth. Oh, Sharpie, you know that, that era. Oh, That's really? What we were, we're right behind you, Sharp. That that Sharp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did Buckhouse. That was boring as you can't imagine. Yeah. But I think as we were talking the other day, I did the Tower of London, a bit more exciting, and I did the ceremony of the keys, where as a as a guard, guard to the key, oops, pop, pop. Yeah, all that yeah. Sort of stuff. So that's quite, yeah. I'm up there on a regular basis, and yeah. I, I still enjoy it, even you know, after all these years. So, when you are in Caterham, did yeah. you get did you get deployed to Northern Ireland from there? Yeah, we got deployed to Northern Ireland for an emergency tour to cover the the prison officers' strike, which was in Belfast, um, in the RVH, which is the Royal Victoria Hospital. That's uh, pretty um, pretty in your face. Um, and then we were then a year later we were sent on an eighteen month tour to London Derry, which was far too long to be in, wow. in the country in, in that state in nineteen seventy nine, uh, eighty, and it was not fun at all. In fact, what I did was I tried to get on as many courses, external courses as I can back to the UK. So basically I could get my promotion line up. I, I was basically a course monkey. There was a course going, I'd go and do it. Just anything <laughs> not to, you know, go stand out the streets and be spat out and have things thrown at you, including high-velocity rounds, you know? Well, I was going to say, because your regiment did take some casualties during the troubles. It did take some casualties, yes. Not my battalion, right enough. But one and two did take a lot of, lot of casualties, yeah, mm. especially one particular one that springs to mind when a Saracen armoured car was blown up and all the occupants, all the occupants as well. Which is a very much a reminder of like the IEDs, which is where yeah. the, that term came from in Afghanistan. Mm. Yeah, I had a, a, a former colleague who was with them, and he uh, he got blown up out there, and a lot of his colleagues sadly got killed with he was with, yeah. with the green jackets. But um, but yeah, I mean it's it's still going on out there. We just don't get to read about it anymore. There's a 
Is it? Go, go, go to Glasgow if you want to you want to catch up on what's going on. Oh, I know. Oh, Jesus! It's it's mental place. It, it is. It's it's funny, isn't it? How sectarianism has. It's still it's it's, it's all based on on religion. And I'm I'm doing a grave in a place called Motherwell. Yeah. Which is a suburb of Glasgow. Chance is really good cemetery manager, and with some veterans I'm working with up there. And he was a really nice guy. And he said, uh, I said, there aren't many soldiers' graves in here. He said, I'm a Protestant, and I'm the only one around here. He said, and all these, are, this is a Roman Catholic church. I think we found six graves in amongst. Should we be talking about this? It's a bit, it's a bit, you know, con- yeah, no, it's fine. Graves in amongst 50,000 headstones of soldiers. And he showed me one grave, which was from the Ibrox disaster. Yeah. Uh, um, the, in the, uh, the where a Rangers fans were killed. Yeah. And it had been smashed up. Really. What's going through people's heads when they think that that's right? So um, yeah. Yeah. I'm going back. I'm going back again next uh, week after next. And I'm also I'm, I'm working in Edinburgh and Motherwell. I'm going up to a place called Loch Morar. Yeah. Where some. Sterling is buried, the founder of the SAS. Right. I'm being expensed, because I don't take money for doing military graves, but the, the expense will be out of my reach by the SAS Regimental Association to go and clean it. How cool is that? Well, so, I'm taking the mitties, and she's paid for her own training. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, what year did you come out of the military? Uh, I was medically discharged after coming back from Cyprus. I went on a run. And I sort of hit the deck, and I woke up in hospital three days later with viral pneumonia. Oh wow! Which developed into exercise-induced asthma, and they class that as a as a war pension disability. So I receive a war pension, which is tax-free, and have done since the age of about twenty-three. That seems weird, doesn't it? Since the age of twenty-three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that does. I mean, it's funny because. I was watching the programme the other day, and if you're the victim of anything out in Belgium that's a relic from the First World War, because they've still got places in the you know in yeah. the fields, you're entitled to a war pension from that. Yeah. Can you, I mean, that's 100, 105 years ago. Yeah, but it's still a victim of war, aren't Yeah, it? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So when you, when you transitioned out, I mean, 23, you're still a young man. Where did life take you from there? Um, I had two choices, really. Um, firstly, I went to America to see my aunt and cousins and spent six months bumming around there, doing odd jobs, painting, cleaning boats, um, having a lot of fun because they love, they love an English accent over there. They do. Oh, my God, where are you from? Yeah, and that's it. That's, that was, I didn't have to have an opening line. <laughs> Fantastic. And we just had a load of fun out there. I came back, and I, funny enough, I... I I've always been a natural salesperson. So I thought I'd go into sales. And I looked at selling pots and pans and uh, double glazing and then investments in insurance and pensions. And I looked at a couple of jobs, whole nothing of it. And I found out from a mate that there were some jobs going out in, in um, South Africa doing fire protection. So basically, um, you would be paid to look after a, a group of guys and could protect the farm against terrorists or issues and all that sort of quite, wow. you know, scary stuff. But um, this guy phoned me to come into an interview at a brokerage that doesn't exist anymore in London called James Khan. I don't know if you've ever heard of James Khan. He no. used to be a dragon. Right. Dragon's Den. Oh, yeah, James of course I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sitting here thinking I know that name. Yeah. So James, James called me in and over about a half an hour interview, he gave me an 11-page uh, sales script. This is on a Thursday afternoon. So, right, Steve, yeah, I don't believe you can learn this in three days, so don't bother to come back unless you've learned it. If you've learned it, I want it parrot fashion. And I, three days, I learned this script, came back, read it to him parrot fashion, a couple of mistakes, and he said, you're in. I said, but I think you're a bit of a rough time, and I'm not sure you'll make it. I smashed all targets the first three months because I, I obviously deal well with negative comments yeah. or, or badly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, and, uh, that basically then the years propelled me forward. I, when the Financial Services Act came out, I was a regional manager for Sun Life looking after three branches, about 120 people, 
company car, company pension, company medical, and I hated it. It's the first time in my life, part of the army, I didn't have a salary, mm. and I wasn't allowed to sell because of um, the rules that senior managers weren't allowed to sell. So I resigned, and I've been to Hong Kong a couple of times. I love them watching and playing rugby. And I went to Hong Kong on a wing of the prayer and did a commission job in there for three months, did the same thing from nothing, um, topped the charts, loved it, back where I wanted to be in the selling game. And uh, three months later, my then three-year-old daughter and wife came to join me. And I spent 12 great years in Hong Kong, eventually selling the business, although we had to buy it back. Uh, but retiring, semi-retiring from there, about... Um, about 18 years ago, 17 years ago. Wow. And came back, didn't get as much as I thought I would, and um, went to work in Dubai for two and a half years, consulting, and I still do a bit of consulting now on financial services products or group employment products, things like that. You see, there's, there is massive life after the military, isn't there? Of course, there's massive life. It's just... I mean, but yeah, but yeah, the army was was my life, and it was like you know, your your thing, your ex job. You never leave the job, and I was medically discharged as a substantive corporal, uh, which is uh, at twenty two. It's a pretty good rank to attain, mm. um, um, and it's suddenly a love affair is broken. Except you're still in love when they literally cut your ID card in half at the at the guard room and see you off the premises. Then it's like a messy divorce, but except you're still you're still in love, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a bereavement. Isn't the, it? army, the army did nothing for me after I left the line. For 35 years, I probably did not only my close family and close friends knew I was even in the army. I never used to tell people I spent seven years in the army. I'd never tell them. That's strange. Because it was just I, I blocked it, stuck it in the back of my head in mm. a compartment. And yeah. wrapped it in a suitcase in you know, concrete in chains and compact. Compartmentalised it. Yeah. Compartmentalised it. Yeah. Yes, it is, I, I do get it, and it is like a bereavement when you leave these organisations. I'm, I'm exactly the same when I left the police. It's, it, I did thirty years. I gave them my warrant card. They patted me on the back, put some money in my account for my pension, and that was it. And I, I did. I felt I was bereaved. But uh, so, how did you get to where you are now? Because you're you do some amazing things with. Um, Graves, how did that all? Um, how did that all start? I've often been conscious of Commonwealth War Graves. You, you must, you see them. Everyone's. Oh, they're amazing. And and, and, pretty, and and having been to France and Belgium a couple of times, you know, I've been to see the battlefields and how amazing they're kept and stuff. But in this country, unfortunately, they don't have the same, same. Um, how can I put it? Maintenance and looking after that. Yeah. They they freely admit the Commonwealth War Graves Commission that they on average, will visit scattered graves every three to five years. Right. Which is not their fault. It's not their fault. They just don't have the resources and the money and the time. Because, you know, you might get one church in the middle of it and one Commonwealth War grave. So I, I went to a, a christening of uh, my niece's daughter, Beatrice. And I'm not really a godly person, I'm afraid, but I came outside to have a little nose around in a church I've never been to before. And I saw a Commonwealth War Graves completely grown over. And I went and swept the weeds back. And it was a young rifleman uh, who had died um, uh, six weeks before the armistice at the age of 18 in the Rifle Brigade. The Rifle Brigade is my antecedent regiment, yep. specifically the 3rd Battalion. And I got them raging up. So I came back the next day with my wife and we cleared it up. I then took a before and after picture and put it on a couple of the Facebook groups for the Green Jackets because I've seen guys doing that before. And I thought, oh, well, that got quite a good result. No, yeah, I got more than 10 likes. And I thought, it's not the likes I'm interested in, but it's just that I found this guy and he needed work. But I didn't really sleep well that night because there were, also, there were five others in that graveyard, not Green Jackets, Rough Brigade. And I basically spent the next six months uh, restoring the areas, not so much the graves, because they're they are the property of the, of the CWGC, but you can do it with a bit of water and a brush. Restoring the areas of the 144 within a 10 mile radius. That was the first part. Then I went to Dover to look at a, a big war cemetery there, which is in a civilian cemetery. And on the way out, I looked back and I thought I saw 
a very disheveled grave with the words MC on it, which means Military Cross. Yeah. I went back. It was actually a Victoria Cross. And that got me, got the rage up again. Uh, it was a guy called Colour Sergeant McQueenie. Uh, he was the 44th Regiment, which is, eventually became the Royal Anglians. Um, uh, he won. He, he was awarded his medal, VC, in um, in the Crimea, I think, or might be the Indian Mutiny. I can't remember because I'm old. Um, <laughs> and uh, I came, I came back and basically got that restored. There were three more VCs there. Got them restored, and then I started to search for VCs and. I now have adopted, not formally, but in my mind, 57 Victoria Cross graves in the southeast and elsewhere. And basically, I put there's a little maintenance panel I put in place. So I, I get them restored, I paint them up, I do all the work that needs to be doing. Some of them actually repair, and I go back and visit them every 18 months, two years. There's about three on my list for this month. So wow. that's that. then. Obviously, once you're doing Victoria Cross graves. I started to notice that there were military graves, especially pre-1914, of guys that had not died in battle, but had died of old age. Yep. With amazing stories. I mean, amazing stories. If you go on my Facebook group, Military Grave Restorer, for an hour or two, I'm sure you've read some. Some mm. of them are just mind-boggling. What these guys did and didn't do and died of old age, you know, generally by the coast, because, you know, lots of people used to retire the coast in those days. Yeah. Dover, I mean, Dover's got hundreds. Brighton and Hove, hundreds of fantastic stories. When I found a bugler from the charge of the Light Brigade, last survivor of the Battle of Wolf's Drift, I found the last survivor of the Battle of Waterloo with a photo of him. He died at the age of 101 in the Caterham Asylum. I mean, they're just... That's amazing. They're all out there. They're just all out there. It's unbelievable. That's amazing. When the with the VCs, I, I assume that most of them are posthumously. Um, not all are posthumous. Probably about. I, I couldn't give you a guess, but probably a third are posthumous. Says it's a guesstimate. I couldn't tell you without going and checking it. But yeah, a lot of are posthumous, but a, a lot because when it was first awarded the Victoria Cross in the Crimean War. Um, um, Basically, Queen Victoria put it in for there to be a, a, a gallantry award for all ranks, right? You know, from private up to general. Yep. And the first action, the first action awarded or gazetted it's called, Victoria Cross was a guy called Rear Admiral Luke Davis or Lucas Davis, who is buried in Merryworth, and I've cleaned his grave. And it was uh, he was. He was in the beginning of the Crimean War. He was on a ship uh, bombarding um, the, the coast of Denmark, I think, Denmark, without checking. And uh, a, a replying shell from the fort fell onto the deck of the ship. It's fizzing. He picked it up, chucked it overboard. Oh, my God. And it exploded in the sea. So he was immediately promoted to his lieutenant and presented for the VC. But he wasn't the first to actually given the, the, the cross because it, when they lined up I think in Regent's Park with Queen Victoria giving them out, there are quite a few of them and I've done the first to be given as well, a guy called Rabby, R-A-B-Y his grave is in Portsmouth which I did about a month ago so there's some important people out there and these stories are you know, they're, they're out there if you want to look for them mm -hmm. what I try and do is bring them to the forefront so the researcher I work with the most, or two really, are Hilary, Hilary Chalice, who lives in Worthing, and Jane Robinson, who lives in London. She is like MI6. She can find anybody. So Hilary writes up the research, which she finds. She's got all the tools. And she's also an ex-BBC journalist, so she's good at it. And Jane tries to find the family. And she's bloody good. She should, she should, you know, she should have been a... A detective for a serious fraud squad, you know. <laughs> what what she can't find out doesn't exist. As far as I'm do you do you actually speak to the families of these good people? Oh, yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I phone them up with the line, "Hello, you don't know me. My name is Steve Davis. I'm a fallen soldier, and I clean and renovate uh, war graves of military people. And I found a, a relative of yours, 
also sometimes say that they're a bit reticent. I say, you haven't won the lottery, nor have you inherited anything. Well, you have inherited something, actually. Yeah, this is your great-great-uncle. So I, I like doing that a lot. Um, and I find some lovely people. I never ask anybody for anything. Occasionally, someone might offer me some money, a fiver, 50 quid, 100 quid, sometimes, but it's very rare. And then I basically get their email address. I send them a before and after email and our research and let them get on with it. That's really cool. And how cool. how did you did you have to qualify as a as a restorer? Well, I started doing it from YouTube and watching the Americans. Lots of Americans are into looking after graves. And I learnt my skills by basically practice makes perfect and all those sort of things. But I was getting some pushback about three years in from councils, churches, no problem. They, anybody can use grave in church. They're happy. But in um, in councils, they want you as a qualified NAM or Bram stonemason. So I approached last year, I approached the Veterans Foundation, which give grants, I think. This. I said, look, would you mind sponsoring me to, to do a, a Bram course, um, which basically I, I took all the qualifications I could to get as qualified as I could. And the actual course was easy because I was doing it anyway. It was mostly to do with health and safety, method of statement, and risk assessments. Yeah. Uh, and also to put a brand new memorial in, even though I've never done one, I never will do one, you need to know how to do it. Right. So um, did that and things opened up. I still have a couple of problems with a couple of cemeteries, but what they don't know, they might know now, which is a good thing, is I also have a Ministry of Justice test and inspect certificate, which means I can condemn graveyards and graves. <laughs> so if they really upset me, I go around there with a, some yellow tape, mask it all up and say, right, right, that needs to be repaired or laid flat. You need to contact the family within 12 months. So if they want to play hardball, I'm, I'm quite happy to do it. But, and also with certain stuff, I'll be honest with you, I don't mind saying it live. Um, I'm about, I'm verging on certain graves to do. It's better to seek forgiveness than to ask for permission because some people are just ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I sit in that camp as well. It's easier yeah. to say sorry, isn't it? Once, yeah. you, once you've done it. Yeah. When you get, do you get approached by families? I do. Yeah, they do come to me. Quite a few. I had one last night. Um, lives about 20 miles from me. and said, look, my I was shocked to see how bad my family grave is. And I basically uh, would charge them for a donation or whatever. So, and I'm, I, I, I really, really am as cheap as chips. At the end of the day, I see it as a service. I don't see it as a, as a commercial exercise. And, uh, you know, I just cover the cost of my petrol. If I have a sandwich, uh, what's cleaner cost? And I might add, you know, well, I, get my, I, try, I try to add anything. But, you know, some of these graves do, do require a lot of work mm. and do, do all require more than one visit. So, you know, you can work it out in your own mind what basic, but, but you know, but I see some of the quotes that, that, that the commercial guys do and they, they're a lot of money. And people must say, well, is, it, is it worth it? Because the days are gone when families used to, you know, zip up on a Sunday to, Scrub up grandma and grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So you must get a real buzz out of doing this work. The biggest buzz I get now is mentoring and training veterans, and that's one civilian who was on that BBC breakfast show thing, not on the sofa with me, but in the interview, Lee. The biggest buzz I get is seeing their faces and their enjoyment when we've completed a project. For instance, in Great Yarmouth, there's a guy, my mum mentioned named Trevor, he's a lovely, lovely guy. Got a bit, he's got a lot of history, because I deal with charities that look after veterans who are either in the criminal justice system in some way, shape or form, and or have mental health issues. Right. And Trev is just a lovely, he just, he gets so excited when we, and we, we did a grave where the cross had broken off it was covered in rubbish, and Hillary discovered some fantastic research. We found the family, and when we put the cross back on, I've repainted the lettering, which one of the girls did, because they're better at it than I am. And we all stood back, and we went, and I could see a tear in his eye. 
but it's a tear of happiness, you know? Yeah. And his wife, his wife says, oh, I love it when Steve comes, because for two weeks after, he's in a great mood, he's bouncing around, and two weeks before he comes, he's in a great mood, bouncing around. So I know that it helps. And then there's another guy that, that lots of guys like that. I get lots of lovely testimonials. I, it's, just, it's rewarding for me that these guys think and get something out of it. You know, the, the, the accomplishment of of doing a grave which is in terrible shape and, and bringing the history back. And there's a guy in Dover, can't say his name, but he's an alcoholic on probation. And the first time he met me, he, he had a tin of beer in his head. I said, you can throw that away, and that's your three chances. Well, you know, he just met me that's one chance. I said, no, no, no. I'm Mayor Guglielmi when it comes to it. Two strikes you out. That's <laughs> that's two strikes. Have the tin of beer, meeting me to go to the graveyard. Two weeks later, went back to pick him up again. He said, "Good morning, my name's Chris." I said, "This is the real Chris." So I haven't had a drink since that day, and I don't intend to. And he's now off it and in a good place. So I'm not saying that I'm. It's magic. I'm just saying that this this works. Do do you know, it works? You know. Do the probation service and the like, do they work with you? Do they? We're trying to do that with them, but obviously there's a lot of hoops to jump through. There are people trying to work that out. Um, the problem is there's only me at the moment. What I have to do is recruit three to five mini-me's, for want of a better reason, get them trained up in different parts of the country so that because my insurance and my public liability covers a group of people I'm working with. Right. Councils, Northern Church. So that's that's why I have to go. So I've got a Great Yarmouth next week for three days, then Scotland the week after for eight days. When you go to these places, what research has taken place before you arrive there? Um, not a hell of a lot, but sometimes some. But then I then I usually will send a, a picture of um, a potential clean to Hillary. And say, so what do you think? And she'll have a cursory look, or Jane will have a cursory look. So, yeah, this is a good one. A lot of good history here. Da 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 da. And we'll move forward. Or, no, that's a load of rubbish. Sometimes people thought, whatever well, they like on a grave. You know, when I did Trumpeter Landfree, who was with the light cavalry at Balaclava, I blew the charge, along with some other people. There's a lot of information they spoke. I thought, hmm. I sent it to the guy, a guy I was working with at the time called Paul. And he replied, I don't know if you've listened to it, but you need to. Uh, he replied, would you like to listen to him speak and blow the bugle? I went, F off. Anyway, there's a soundbite on YouTube of Beaver Lamprey talking and blowing the bugle that sounded at Waterloo and at No way. There's a charge, which is recorded on one of those tubes. Wax tube. In 1890, Edison House. In London, it is. Once you've heard it, you go, "Whoa!" Please listen to that again. And it's on my Facebook group. Yeah, it's about eighteen months ago. Look for it, Lamfrey. Have a listen. Blow your socks off. Yeah, no, it will. be good for you to put it into this. Yeah, and play it because it is it is chilling. Yeah, no, I will do. What's the oldest grave that you've done? Sixteen sixty-seven. Three children that died under the age of ten in my graveyard in Hawkehurst. The grave and the church were hit by a doodlebug in World War II and part and demolished about a third of the of the of the graves and about a third of the church. And it wasn't fully repaired until the mid-50s. Um, part of the, the roof had fallen on top of this grave, either side of it, and protecting it, but it was absolutely filthy and crumbling. Anyway, I, I looked at it, I thought, right, I can clean that. So I didn't use anything but water on a toothbrush and probably about five trips, and I uncovered the, the names of these three children uh, that the localist history group knew about, um, and that's the oldest one I've ever done. And the most distinguished? Probably Major General Sir Wilbram Oates Leonard, BC, the first Victoria Cross of the Royal Engineers. I discovered him about two years ago in Brighton Cemetery, and the cross had fallen off, and it was completely overgrown. So for three or four months, with the help of the cemetery, I got the place, got the undergrowth and the, the, everything cut back. I then started cleaning it. It took probably 
seven to eight times to clean it, including the broken cross. I then contacted the RSM of 36 Engineer Regiment and asked for some help to get the cross back on. So, because the, the base of the memorial weighed nine tons, the cross was one ton. Wow. So, I um, had a Gurkha colour sergeant come down, uh, did a recce with me, and then that, they, they agreed to supply JCB and, uh, and four four parachute squadron Gurkhas to uh, come and put it back on. And we we, we um, put two metal st- uh, bits of rebar in the middle, holes in the top, and then we um, lowered it on, glued it into place with some amazing chem fix I used from Germany. And it now sits there sitting proud. It hasn't been like that for about 60 years. So do you there go... Is a family. I didn't reach out to them because I know they know all about it. And yeah. I thought, if they can't be bothered to contact me, you know what I've done, that's it. They're still a current lord. And there are 20 members of the family in that block. Wow. Including colonels, vice-admirals, lady this, lady that. And they, they didn't bother to contact me, so I couldn't be worried. Because I do find, that unfortunately, this is unfortunate, the higher up you are in in society, the less interested you are in how you got there. That's, that's interesting. It is interesting. It's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, because, I mean, I'm very proud of um, my family in the background and the history. that. But we're, we're small fry, you know. We haven't got a yes. big mausoleum. I, I did I a grave once in Horsham of three baronets. As a current baronet, it's his grandfather, his great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather. His, grand, his great-grandfather was a general in the Royal Horse Artillery, cross a broken, filthy, overgrown. Took me about five visits, permission from the vicar. Did it beautifully. Found the email, sent an email, followed up the phone call, he told me to F off. That was it. That was, that was the end of the conversation. Wow. Thought I was there for money, and I've never been there for money. What about famous? I mean, there, there are a number of famous graves around the UK that are probably unkempt and, you know, over time. Is that something well, that. Well, but the most famous one that I want to do, which is why I refer back to the permission and forgiveness part, is. Um, Emily Pankhurst. Right. Emily Pankhurst, a suffragette's grave in Brompton, is filthy dirty. It would take me 20 minutes to clean the inscription. How did you, yeah, get, yeah. How did you get the royals involved? I worked work with a charity called the Remembrance Trust, run by a guy called Algie Club, who's an absolute rock star. He's about the same age as my dad. Uh, he is a very wealthy man. He runs Clough Oil and Clough Gold and things like that. Right. He's met a lady called Blondell, who's a lovely lady. She's a now but she was a Queen's Council, now a King's Council. Since he's the chairman of the National Lottery. Very important people. And he, like me, three years ago or four years ago, decided he wanted to do what I'm doing, but fund it. So we got we got put together and I do some work for him. He pays fifty percent of my expenses. So that helps a lot. I do probably for him. 25, 30 graves a year. And I did one in Brompton, which we got under the radar. Um, and then um, he asked me to do some in Dover, where he lives. So I look after the VCs there. So I made, so I did a maintenance job on the, on three of the VCs, all in a walkable distance. And then I, we, we agreed and found three others. A private who was in the Royal Artillery, a Sergeant Major who was in the Royal Engineers, and a General who was the Garrison Commander. So we cleaned those. Did the research and I walked around with Princess Anne describing all the work I'd done there. She just loves it. She's she's a patron of the Remembrance Trust. I have a patron now, General Sir Nick Parker, who used to be in my regiment. He he's um he looks after me, not willingly, but <laughs> as I ask. <laughs> Whenever I call him, oh not you again. So I try not to call him to it. It's it's fascinating and and. Princess Anne is such a lovely person. Oh, mate, she's amazing. She's so engaged. Questions. Uh, her, her husband came as well this time, and, and he was a proper good officer, well yep. known uh, in the high ranks as a, as a good man. He was very good. Tim Lawrence. Firm you in the eye, both of them. And, oh, yeah. and uh, we talked, and then I talked to her. I said, look, I said, I, I, I queued for your mum. She said, really? How long did you do? I said, oh, good. I'm 65. I said, I queued him, what am I here? But I didn't have my medals on. I said, I have my medals on that day. But, 
but I could not feel my feet at the end of the at the end of the queue when we eventually got there after 14 hours. She said, you should try wearing cavalry boots. I'm commandant of the Blues and Royals. You try walking with those. That's almost impossible. <laughs> we look right, nice little natter about two or three minutes. Because all the other dignitaries, what do you do? I just talk to people like normal. Normal conversation. I don't think anybody should, should oh, do anything different. Some might find that offensive. But as you get older, your kindness button doesn't get pressed that often. It's more your who gives an F button, unfortunately. What does the future look like, though, for Steve Davis? I don't mean the snooker player either. Well, hopefully if I live, um, I'd like to see in five years proper funding, corporate backing. I hate using my Just Giving page. Yeah, because people give you a five. Like, you know that's all they can afford. And it humbles me that people do that. Yeah. You know, it absolutely humbles me. Um, I just wish some rich bastard would say, okay, that's a good thing, Steve. Here's X, Y, Z. Off you go and do it. Then I wouldn't have to go and plea. You know, like, I don't like self-trumpeting. You know, about two years ago at the last regimental reunion, I was in the bar with the beer chatting to a mate from years ago. So what are you up to now then, Steve? I said, I'd go out and I'd clean military grade. I said, is that you? Yeah, military grapes. Jesus Christ, I follow you and I comment. I know you do. I don't, even know, so I don't tell people it's me. Yeah? So I did after that, did it, but I haven't done it since. But um, you've so got to, you've got to. Thing, you know, I didn't put on any of my Green Jacket Facebook groups because I don't want to self-promote. But I you've got to, mate. You've got to. I'm going to... I'm not going to on says that, but I don't want to. You're going to give me all your links and I'm going to put them in here. But, you, of course, you've, <laughs> you've got... Um, who's the... the, the the guy that was with uh, Watford Football Club who's got all the v- bought all the VCs up. Uh, oh, um, um, Lord Ashcroft. Ashcroft. So yeah. Lord, yeah, Lord, he, he won't engage with me. So, but Lord Ashcroft buys up the VCs. Okay. Why? Why will he not engage with you? Because he's too important, too posh, and got too much money. Yeah, but it's a big thing. To, it's it's close to his heart. So he's got these. Well, not only that, but a lot of the VC barrels he's got, I've done the grades. Well, there's there's a there's a thing there, isn't there? There's 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 a natural affinity. Of course, there is. Of course, yeah. it, because it's not it's not all about their medal. It's about yeah. it's the remembrance thereafter. It's the history that's wrapped around these people. Yeah. And if Lord Ashcroft is listening, you know, maybe he will engage. Maybe the, the you know one of the national newspapers will engage to give you that additional support. We're really good at remembering. The Royal British Legion are probably one of the best charities in the country for remembering and supporting the British forces. But the problem with the RBL and Commonwealth, they're now are all run by people that are fundraised. Yes. And it's very difficult for you to get funds out of these people for anything. The hoops you have to jump through, the the um, the, um, the paperwork you have to do puts people off. It's like the computer says no. Mm. And what I'm trying to, what I really want to do is create a model that can be used around the country by veterans charities and the RBL and Commonwealth Order. It says, okay, we, we've trained a, a, a guy to be Bradbridge's Mason. He's insurance can look after the Southwest, Southeast, London, Midlands, Northwest, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, all that sort of stuff. And then basically they can go out and, and look after, repair and maintain the most important part, maintain. Because once you've cleaned a grave, when it's been filthy for 100 years, and that's the average that these things are not being touched, if you don't maintain it, it will be filthy again in 10 years. But the minute you maintain it, and the maintenance is easy, but you maintain it every two or three years, because I use a product on it that repels dirt and stuff, yep. um, and then go back, re-clean it, 20 minutes, all done, next. That's the point. But the Ministry of Justice today will be releasing young service personnel who need direction in their lives. And part, of, the, and part of their direction five, could be doing this. Of veterans. Of that 5%, only about half declare themselves veterans. Right. Because of the problems in prisons. Wow. That's a scary thought. 5% of the prison population of, of veterans? Yep. And I know that because I go to Sheppey uh, Veterans 
club, which is at the prison, South Stamperdale. Yeah. And I sit and talk to the governors, and uh, we chat about things like that. And he said 50% don't declare because they're worried about someone having to go at them, especially if they're sort of 13 to 35, 40 age. So it's certainly Afghanistan or Iraq. Yeah. That is a scary statistic, isn't it? Scary thought. I think um, there are people out there that would be interested in helping you. It's just tapping into that. Uh, the, my, my email is very is, – I answer everything. Yeah. I mean, after the BBC, honestly, it took me a, about 10 days to, to reply to something at least to everybody either commented or, you know, sent an email. And all these people want to help. But I've got no infrastructure, you know. I need infrastructure to be able to say, right, Let's work on this area. Let's work on that area. Have you actually had anyone? Yeah, you know, I run. I run around in a seventeen-year-old BMW with my boot full of cleaning kit. It's not. It's not exactly the right thing. No, but it's a great car. It works, and I'm reasonably happy. You know. Do you get? Do you? Not, get, it's not fit for purpose, to be honest. No, I'm sure. But you said that you go to a grave uh, to a stonemason in Colchester. Yeah, I, I go, the guy that trained me, Adrian Roast, really, really nice guy, he's helping me with the Royal Engineers because I've got a bit of commercial work with the Royal Engineers Association next year. Where are we going to... I've surveyed it. Uh, we're going to clean, uh, repair and maintain all of their memorials right. around the country. Wow. There's a, a, we last surveyed in 1959, and um, that's going to be a three-year job it's not every day but it's going to take up probably a third of my time but that's again doing something i like and i'll get paid a day rate to manage it which is fine yeah and i'll do as the work as i can myself and when i can i'll get veterans in to do the leg work the hard work the volunteers because they love doing it and there's a lot of royal engineers oh, veterans yeah. out there. they'd love to go to brompton barracks which is the headquarters of the royal engineers and help clean the War Memorial and the two memorial arches there. One arch is the size of Marble Arch. The other arch is the size of Waterloo Arch. They are big. Wow. They were built by the Royal Engineers in 1860 and 1880. And the Royal Engineers are not allowed to repair or touch them. Why? Because of health and safety, uh, risk assessment. Um, you have to be qualified. You've got to be this. You've got to be that. The Royal Engineers don't have that anymore. It's really it's it's fascinating, isn't it, that we've got all these. You know, if every village in the country has got a war memorial, I clean a lot of war memorials. But see, every council thinks that I'm punting the business. I clean my one in Hawkehurst once every two years, and I've I've got permission to clean the, the, the surround of it. But everyone, oh well, 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 I guess well, your quote is the cheapest. Why is it the cheapest? Because I live here, I don't have any travel time, and I'm happy to do it just for the cost of the material. Yeah. All right, okay. Because I don't really believe you. But then I do some for free. I did one for um, the Secretary of the Rifles in his hometown. I said, just put me up, give me a bit of dinner and some wine. You know, I'm just, I'll just charge in my petrol and my so what it to get there and back. I love doing it. I'm, I'm bloody good at it. I've done some really good ones, some really big ones as well. But and equally, most um, graveyards in the UK will have a have a soldier who's been killed in a conflict. I, I was at Walton on the Nays um, during the COVID issues, and in there, there is a the entire crew of a, a vessel that was sunk. Um, is yeah. buried there. They've got other, you know, people that have died in battles as well. It's just, you know, it, but I find graveyards really fascinating. I went to some... Well, you will even more now. Get Cootsie out. He's got a little um, little war memorial that he's been asking advice about, and I told him what to do. Whether he's done it or not, I don't know. But um, um, it, they're fascinating. They are absolutely fascinating. Yeah, they are. When you find, when you find people and then... The, the, the ones with more medals and higher rank, you can find information on Wikipedia of them. Yeah. You go, oh, God, you look at the stadium, you think, what happened? It's like um, 20 feet from the bugler, the charge of the light brigade, is the second son of Lord Luton, who was in command of the cavalry at Balaclava. 
Now, wow. that second son married the daughter of the Earl of Cardigan, who was a commander of the Light Brigade at the Battle. Of, uh, at, at the battle. Wow. 20 feet away. I mean, you couldn't make that up, could you? No. Anyway, I felt I felt I, I had called the family, the current Lucans, spoke to the current Lord, and he said to me, Do you know what? It makes a pleasant change to have someone to call me up, not talk about the one that yeah. the sickest. Yeah. I said, Well, you know, um, I have cleaned it with the permission of the council. They said you don't it did not forget it, you know, you asked me. But that but that was nice, you know, things like that are nice. Yeah, absolutely. Bad ones like um, I cleaned a guy again in in in, in home who was in the it was in you know these mad empire wars we used to have. Yeah. And it was the War of the Golden Storm, the fifth Ashanti War. Right? So for some reason, we didn't like the Ashanti tribe in Africa. So we went to war against them about five times. Oh, dear. The fifth time, right, where this guy was killed, he was a lieutenant, I can't remember his name, Mike Springdrive, was over the, the idea that the, that the army commander, the British army commander, had heard that the king of the Ashanti tribe was sitting on a golden stall. So a stall made of pure gold. So that was his motivation. They defeated the Ashanti tribe, lost a lot of troops, and they were Golden Storm. This is like 1880, 1890. 50 years later, the Golden Storm turned up. It was a piece of jewellery around the Queen's neck, about yay big. No. About two inches high. So all those people died for that. Wow. I mean, that's... I, mean, I love history. That's mad history. But, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to do that with somebody. You know, come visit his grave. His name is Brownlee. That's it. Lieutenant Brownlee. This grave is circular with a massive, massive angel on the top. And without ladders, I couldn't do the angel. I thought, no, I'll just do the inscription. A lot, I just do the inscriptions. I like things to say as they are. Yeah. If you're not, but, but I like things, if you can read it, there's important to, to, you know, to read it and write it. So some I do like that, you know? And what, what, what was the, the history behind him? I, um, I've, I can't remember it because I've done so many. But basically, he was a young, he was a young lieutenant. I mean, his inscription, if you find it on Facebook, probably about two, two and a half years ago, there's a letter from a friend of his who wrote to his parents, and that letter is in writing on the grave. Wow. Saying what a good chap he was, and he died quickly, and all of these troops loved him, all that sort of stuff. And it was a really heartfelt thing for me to clean, and it was it was pretty illegible before I started. I mean, other than Emmeline Pankhurst, is there anybody that you would think, oh, do you know what, I, I, I want to go and see that grave, I'd like to, you know, do that, or...? Um, no, not... Spike Milligan? <laughs> yeah, well, he said... <laughs> what did he say? I told you I was ill. That was... Yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, make, make, I'd do any, anything anywhere. If we weren't so uh, at war with... Um, Russia, I'd love to go to Crimea oh. and do Kakarot's Wall, which is a big, big memorial to the Royal Engineers. It's about sort of 30, 40, 50 feet long. I'd love to go and do that. That's, that's on there. Is. And what's that called? It's called? I think it's called Kakarot's Wall, I think. If you've got a Google there, have a look. Yeah, Kakarot, same word, wall, memorial, somewhere. I'd love to go and do that. I'd like to do anything. Like, like you were talking about uh, recent, well, recent wars, but, um, you know, if your son or daughter dies in a recent conflict, then you're offered what's called an MOD grade, which is like a common war grade, except it goes round, it has drops of it in there. So it has a little bit of a, a dink in it, so you can tell the difference. But once it's in, it's the family's responsibility. Because they don't know what to do, and I do a lot of those, and I never, ever charge a penny for anything. If I see them, I just do it. Wow. It's basically wrong. It's wrong. There is no maintenance program in place to look after those. And I'd love to put a maintenance program in with the MOD, which would cost them a tiny percentage of what they threw away on the Ajax fighting armored vehicle. I think it was 400 million. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A tiny, tiny bit just to respect the guys that have died in conflict. And um, what about. What about the likes of Johnny Mercer? I mean, he's... Um... I never spoke to Johnny Mercer. Um, he, when he was Veterans Minister, he was, he was hamstrung a bit because of bipolar. And now he's very vocal 
but he's never contacted me. I haven't tried to contact him. No. I'll chat to him if he called me and we'd never meet him. Yeah. yeah, it would be interesting. But there are, there are opportunities, you know, to put people to work as well. You oh, great. Once you get that brand, um, brand accreditation and get yourself in, you can go to a local funeral director, register yourself. They like self-employed masons. Yeah. So they just say, okay, here's a job, bang, we take 20%, you get 80%. Mm. So it's a job, job for life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a skill. It's a great skill to learn. I, I, I went to the graveyard in St. Petersburg in Russia in 2017. I'm and, not doing Lenin. I didn't like him, all right? Well... <laughs> In there, they've got Dostoevsky, Tchaikovsky, oh, no, like Borodin, all of the all of the famous composers are now decomposing in there. But it's a, a, an amazing, amazing graveyard. I mean, it's the it's the the great and the good of um, Russian arts. History. Yeah, Russian history and arts. And you and and also in the uh, we, in our lifetime, I don't think we'll ever get back to Russia, but in the church there, the cathedral, they've got all of the graves of all of the czars and czarinas. Even the one that was shot. Yeah, and the, yeah, repatriated and put in in there, and it's yeah, it's an amazing place. But well, I, I tell you what, you need if, 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 I mean, uh, places to visit. Part of the part of the brief for the Royal Engineers Association. Was to look in St Paul's Cathedral yep. and Rochester Cathedral, two places I'm ashamed to say I've never been. No. Don't listen to this. Go and visit those two places. My God, you'll never believe the the people that are buried in St Paul's Cathedral, Wellington. I mean, everybody, every general you've ever heard of, and everyone you've ever heard of lies in St Paul's Cathedral. Wow. It was mind-boggling, and I got my permission slip from the chief executive Ken Kirk. Got him for free, which was a good one. But um, uh, Rochester, Rochester's a really good one as well. Just pretty, especially if you're military or in service or orientated. Just go around with your jaw hanging open to see who's there. Nelson's in St. Paul's Division. Nelson's in Wellington. Probably the biggest names are I. Yeah. I in massive um, mausoleums with, uh, within St. Paul's Cathedral. I've never, I'm ashamed to say, I've never been there. I've never been there. I live fifty minutes. I live fifty minutes up the road from it. Nothing. Yeah, I, I interviewed um, a lady, Lindsay Siverter, the other week, and she's a volunteer there, and she said exactly the same. You've got to go and have a look. You've got to absolutely got to go. I, 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 I mean, they charge you, they charge you yeah, the, uh, the combined debt of, of, of Africa. So <laughs> I've got to say, even though I didn't, I'd say it's worth every penny. Oh, it's money well spent, and that's our history, isn't it? We we need yes. we need that, and it's it, and if if people don't pay, then those places fall into disrepair, and it, right. it's it's as simple as that. But uh, before we go any further, sir, I I just got to ask you: Is there anything you'd like to add, alter, or correct in relation to what we've discussed today? I'd like to add my favourite phrase. Read in a book quite a while ago, and um, I like using phrases. And it goes like this. Neither a virgin nor a fortress will hold out for long once negotiation starts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant, mate. Uh, please keep in touch. I'm going to make some phone calls on your behalf when I conclude this. Yes, that'd be nice. I wish you well. It's, it's been really great talking to you, and thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Paul. Good, 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 good chat. And, and, and we'll, I will be, I will be in touch. Cheers, mate. Thank you very Take much. Take care. God bless. Bye bye.